This is Real Estate Rookie Show Number 40. I think we did like four or five deals in our first two years. We didn't, we didn't get much traction, but as soon as we started getting the processes down, I think we were able to pick up a lot of scale from that. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I just got back from Florida about two hours ago, and I am here with my wonderful co-host, Tony Robinson. What's up, Ashley? You're such a trooper, right? You you touch down at the airport and get straight to your closet so you can start recording again. I love it. Yeah, I woke up at 4 a.m. to catch the Magical Express from Disney, and now I'm back in cold, rainy Buffalo and super windy today. Yeah. Well, how was the vacation? Was it was it beautiful? Was it lovely? How's how's yes, Disney world? it was very nice. And so we started out in an Airbnb with a pool, nice and relaxing, and then went into the chaos of of Disney. But yeah, it was really nice. It was my husband's first time there, and two of my kids their first times there. So it was exciting. We went with a group of people, but you have even more exciting news. Where are you leaving to go? <laughs> yeah, so about 48 hours, I'll be off to, to Mexico to get married to, to my fiance. So super excited to to have some time away. But it's so weird. Like I, I feel whenever a vacation comes, I feel like some tension as I get close to it because there's so right. many things in the air. We have one property that's listed for sale. We have another property that's about to close and like all these other things happen. And so I'm just trying to wrap up as much as I can before we take off. I love it that you're like worried about the real estate things and not even like things you have to do for the wedding. <laughs> Wait, if, if my fiance is listening, I'm actually very worried and concerned about the wedding as well. It's both of all those All the details. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. she has all that taken care of for you yeah, that you don't she, have to she's worry. She's been so. wonderful. She's been handling good. all that. So I'm, I'm a lucky yeah. guy. Well, good, good. Well, we, we've got a good show lined up for today, right? We've we've got another actually married couple on the show. And, yes. and they talk about how they've, they've built their business in a little over three years from zero doors to to 21. And I think they picked up seven of those like in the last like eight or nine months. They've been on like an absolute tear. Yeah. Aman and Amir, you can listen to them, just their dynamic. And they talk about their, their roles in their business, who does what, and they just play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses, which I think we can all learn from, not if only if we're doing work with our spouses, but also with our real estate partners that we do have properties with and deals with. So you guys are going to take a lot of value from this for sure. So let's bring them on. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Anam, Amir, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We're, we're excited to dive into your story. How are you guys doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing good, doing good. So I've interviewed Anam and Amir in the past on my old podcast, and they had this really cool story of how they were able to scale their portfolio from zero to 14 doors in about three years. And in 2020, during COVID and all these crazy things, they scaled up to now, I think, 21 doors. So they've been killing it this past year. So we really want to share their story with you all. But Anam, Amir, for the folks who don't know you, I guess just give us a little bit of background. How did you guys get started in real estate? What led you down this path? Yeah, so we got started in real estate about three and a half years ago. When we sat down to look at our future and what we thought we wanted to do, what we knew we didn't want to do was go into a service-based business because that's what we grew up. Both of our families were very service business. I mean, service-based businesses. Our parents worked seven days a week all the time, and that's not something we ever want to do. We want to, whenever children come in the mix, we want to be able to, you know, be a part of their lives growing up and not just be working all the time. So. We did a little bit of research on real estate and realized that that's the path we wanted to go down. And three and a half years later, I don't think we'll ever say that that was not the right path to go down. We love it and we love what we get to do. We still, both of us still have full-time jobs. My full-time job is the marketing director at a luxury dealership group. So it's it's not, has nothing to do with real estate. And Amir, what about for you? Basically the same reasoning. Uh, I grew up in a family business that that we were we've been growing and scaling over the last like 15 years or so. And at one point, we just uh, we kind of like just sat down and we're like, we need to start something on our own. And it needs to be something that like, yeah, it has to have a lot of work, but it needs to also be something that we can take a step back. And if we do need to take a few weeks off or whatever it is, uh, that we can actually do that as well. And what made you guys decide real estate 
was the tool that was going to get you down this path that was going to provide the future that you wanted? I think it was a part of the ownership process that like when you own something, it's not like somebody can take it away from you. Um, and it's, it's, you're providing a living accommodation for somebody. So it's not like a daily service or something that you're providing them. It's like something that you're, you're going to take care of the home. You're going to get it ready. You're going to get them to move in. They're going to continue on living their lives. They're going to get you rent. They're going to pay the rent and, and you're going to continue on from there. Yeah. Basically a lot of that had to do with that. And the fact that it was it was an asset-based business, if that makes sense. It's not like you're trying to create a service and it can be gone tomorrow or if it's no longer a need in the market, it can be gone. So when, you need to live somewhere at all. Like you can't, I mean, you're going to want a roof over your head at all times. And so that's, I think it was, it's a safe, but not safe route we went yeah. down. You get a touch feel factor. It's not like stocks where somebody else is like controlling it for you. This is something that you have direct connection to, but you can make it you can improve the, the property or add value however you want to see. Now, you all are, are balancing this with very busy lives outside of real estate. You're up to 21 doors. And I think for a lot of our listeners, they're, they're in the same boat, right? Where they've got full-time jobs that they're working. How have you been able to balance scaling this portfolio with your commitments outside of real estate? It has to do with the processes and anything that, because like, if we were trying to do it, which we were in the first few and it didn't work out well for us. That's why like our, I think our very first year or two, we weren't getting that much traction. I think we were doing maybe one deal, one or two deals a year for the very first, what, two years or so, roughly. I think we did like four or five deals in our first two years. We didn't, we didn't get much traction, but as soon as we started getting the processes down and, and building out like some of our, our crews and vendors and even getting a property management software, which really helped us out. I think we were able to pick up a lot of scale from that and still manage our jobs. Yeah. Let's talk about what some of those processes are. So if you think about where you were when you first started versus where you are today, what are some of those processes you've been able to build out that you felt has helped you help you reach the scale that you have? So the first, one of the first things that we decided to put a process in place, we used to go after work, go buy the supplies take it to the properties. We would get with the contractor and see what he needs maybe for the next day or two. So typically we invest um, about 45 to 50 minutes away from our home. So it's not like right around the corner, but every night we would get off at seven and go to Home Depot, yeah. load up our cars and drop stuff off. That was probably the biggest thing we changed going into our second property is we Home Depot has the pro desk, which we utilize several times a day now, but we just let our, we trust our contractors enough. In the beginning, we kind of looked at the receipts of what they were maybe purchasing, but now we just make, we put into the bid. They're responsible to go to Home Depot, grab the supplies. The finishing materials will do because we obviously want it to look a certain way, but like, I don't need to, I don't need to look at what drywall they're buying or what nails they're using. In the way we work our bids is we we only do labor costs and we actually we pay for all the supplies because we do it through Home Depot um, through the pro desk and yeah it there's a lot of other benefits because you can use your credit card and rack up points there, yeah. yeah on top of that there's perks for the the contractors too because usually they're not like they can't factor in how much materials are going to cost at the end of the project so when you're giving them a direct just labor cost it's much easier for them to price out and they might give you better pricing on that. For the properties you guys are doing, are they burrs then? Are you rehabbing them and then renting them out? Yeah, every single one is a burr. We 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 feel like if we do the work that that we should get paid on a monthly basis. It shouldn't just be like a one-time deal where you're just gonna, you know, you're you're getting in there, you're doing all the work and you're getting everything done, and then you just get paid one day and you're out of there. Like we feel like you should get paid on a monthly basis. Even if you like think about it, like our like we went back right recently to our very, very first deal. 
And it's like, when you hold on to these properties, sometimes it's like multiple flips in one because the property value has appreciated so much. It's basically like we could have flipped the house like three times by now. And so that's why we generally hold all of our properties. You've already built up the equity three times in that plus your cash flow is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So like, I mean, we're getting flips done while not doing anything. You know, that's why (laughs) that's why we like to hold. You guys are also a a married couple, right? And Ashley and I talk a lot about partnerships. She's got a partner. I've got partners. So we love the concept. But you guys are partners, you know, all the time, right? Your partners in real estate, oh, yeah. your partners in marriage. How do you balance that that relationship? Like, how do you make sure that that you you kind of keep those two roles separate? And then how do you kind of balance each other out as both real estate partners, I guess, like as husband and wife? There's probably not much of a normal balance ever. <laughs> I think we, we attempt sometimes drawing the line whenever we got maybe on a date night to be like, hey, let's just not talk about work. I think it's the only thing we know is work and we love it so much that it really doesn't feel like work. It's just, it's us talking about our lives and our future and our properties. And I don't think we've ever not talked about work. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have like a conversation for 10 minutes and then just sway right back into real estate, like what's going on for the day or the week or whatever. Um, how do you guys share the responsibilities now? Uh, like who does what in the real estate business versus who does what else? So yeah, we definitely split that up. Like pretty much like that, like she has her parts and I have my parts and we don't get into each other's way unless we really need help. Um, she handles most of like everything to do with leasing and what else? The what designing, the leasing, yeah, um, anything with the tenants, um, yeah, other than when it comes to maintenance, maintenance he deals yeah. with. I, I take it personally sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, like the construction and the maintenance part, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take that on because it's just, I have more time and more flexibility during the day than she does. So I'll be up, out there on the job sites and then get, get people to where they need to be. One other thing that she does is, so we share like finding the deals together. So like me and her will both sit down and get deals together. But past that, yeah, we like she handles most of the tenant side stuff and I handle most of the back end stuff that happens before it's leased. I heard you guys mention before that you are using property management software. Would you explain what software you're using and how you are both using it to do your different roles that you have? Yeah, so we use Buildium for our property management tool. It's It was probably one of the best decisions we made because we do, we a, yes, we self-manage, but we also lease our own properties as in I do the showings, I list the properties, I market them. So Buildium allows you to list properties. It allows you to then manage properties post like a tenant moving in. Mm-hmm. You can keep all the docs on there. The way that we both utilize it is it's, it's how we both know kind of what is going on with the property. But in terms of task-driven stuff, we have a like project management tool that doesn't have anything to do with real estate. So we use Asana for, and then we break it down by like to-do in-process pending. So then it's like really quickly we can pop into that tool and see okay, he said he was going to do this. Has he had a chance to do it? Or should I jump in and try to do it? That's kind of, we, that, we kind of use those tool, two tools in yeah. tandem. Yeah, Asana is a great thing to use because it's live. So like if there's like maintenance tasks or whatever, or just stuff that we need to buy or stuff for the property, if it's done, we can erase it and it's, li- it's live on both of our ends. So it's not like, well, I'm doing it and then she's coming back and trying to do it herself too. So, so those are some of the systems that you both have put in place to help you manage this large portfolio while having these responsibilities outside of real estate. Now, w- with 21 Doors, that, that's a lot of work. So I, I guess a two-piece question, what made the two of you decide to self-manage? And then two, how did you start educating yourself on how to do that effectively? 
I think we learned it along the way. <laughs> the reason we did it was just to keep most of the margin while we were starting out. It's, we were bootstrapping the company. So it's like, it was just whatever we can put into it and how fast we can grow. It's not like we're taking like, or other than bank money, but we're not taking like outside investor capital or anything to grow ourselves. It's just our personal capital. So we were like, okay, if we, if we learn the self-managing process, if we get it to a certain amount, maybe we can bring on an employee in-house down the line, maybe around like 30, 40 units when we can actually afford an employee. And we'll learn everything up until then. And then they'll take on those tasks from then. And then we can keep everything in-house. Now, did you guys start these processes from day one with Property One? How did these processes evolve? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Definitely not day one. Definitely not day one. Um, we do look back at our first property, first two properties were probably the biggest learning curves for us. I think as we went from property one to two to two to three, that's when we realized, oh, there's a void in this. What can we do to fix this? And I think that's how, like, we didn't get a property management tool in place until I think our third or fourth property. That's so. I don't even remember how we used to collect rent back. I'd, I think it, we, we like gave them bank cards and like how, because yeah. at that time you used to be able to, if you have a deposit card, you used to be able to pull up and make deposits on, on banks. And I think banks stopped allowing that as an option. And I think that's maybe why we started looking into a property management tool because we wanted to, we, need, we needed a way to collect rent. We didn't want to do mail-in checks. Yeah. The very first property, they would give us a debit card, but they wouldn't make copies of it. So what we would do is pre-fill out deposit slips and give it to the tenants and just have them deposit straight into the bank. And then we were like, this is not going to be a process that's going to actually work at scale. So like every time we have a pain point, we try to figure out a solution and go from there. That's how we've been figuring it out along the way. Now, part of what you guys have been, been able to do this year, again, is, is grow your portfolio. And I think you guys had mentioned that the COVID actually gave you guys some some breathing room to kind of recalibrate and figure out how you can improve your processes and systems to continue to scale. What were some of those changes you guys made? And, and I guess just talk us through that break that you guys had and how it benefited your business. The break definitely helped because both, like, like we said, both of us have full-time jobs. And so we're so focused on that as well as doing this on a daily basis. Our time is like very limited. The break really helped because both of our like work slowed down significantly, especially around March and April. So we were actually like, we were coming home at normal time. We were actually coming home like super early during the day. We were coming home at like two or three o'clock in the afternoon and just like, what do we do with all this time? We had like nothing to do all day. At that point, we were like, well, let's let's put this time to good use. And we figured out like what what's stopping us from scaling. And a lot of it had to do with the money. It's like, you only have a limited amount of money. So it's not like you can just keep going and going and going. At that point, we started looking into like hard money lenders and stuff and seeing how we can actually make it work. There's some super expensive hard money lenders. And then there's some ones that are very reasonable. And so we started um, just, just talking to a lot of different people. And then we were like, okay, the acquisition side is really hard for us to scale that because of the money. So we figured out a hard money side. And then we talked to about like 50 banks to figure out how our back end is going to work out because we can't like, not every single bank is going to just be like, yeah, you guys can just keep adding your rentals as much as you want. So then, yeah, we, we called a lot of banks. We talked to a lot of finance people and we figured out the money part. And that was mainly our pain point right there. Can you tell us a little bit about how you did finance your properties? Like what did the first three look at or look like? And then when did you move into hard money for your deals? Yeah, I, we didn't move into hard money until this year. Our very, like our first like six, seven, maybe eight deals, something like that. It was an assortment of uh, credit cards, credit line, like uh, personal credit lines, uh, business credit lines, home equity line. 
personal cash. Personal cash. We used a little bit of everything just to get any deals done. Most of the credit card was basically for materials and supplies that we were getting for the house, but like all the other lines of credits were mainly to do the acquisition and for, for the labor. Now, I, I want to take a, a quick step back because you, you guys kind of glossed over something. A lot of people, they got spooked when COVID hit, understandably so. But instead of using that time to, to make themselves better, you had people, you know, binge watching Tiger King and like leveling up on Fortnite. But, but you guys used it as an opportunity to, to build your business, right? And, you know, I know I did the same. I think I picked up four properties when COVID was kind of at its peak. And, you know, I'm more so talking to, to the listeners right now is that when you have that opportunity to kind of take a breather, don't use it for leisure time, use it to build your business because we can see it, it, it pays dividends here. Now, one thing I want to talk about is the financing piece. You guys said for your, your initial purchases, you use like lines of credit and, you know, personal cash and business lines of credit. That's a lot of different places like pool financing from and, and and, you know, you're, you're putting your home at risk with the HELOC. You're putting your business business at risk with the business line of credit. I mean, you people might be thinking that you're crazy for doing that, right? I guess walk us through your thought process. How'd you push through that? What, what were your thoughts making that decision? Well, first of all, you have to like you have to kind of know financing of how to make everything work and and put it all together because all these financing structures have different like payback periods or interest rates, and you just have to keep everything organized. But like when we looked at, we, we did so much research on it before we even started in real estate that we were very comfortable jumping in with all this because we knew that the the spread that we were buying it at, so like our purchase price compared to what the ARV was going to be after we finished, we knew that there was so much room and that there could be multiple exit strategies so that we wouldn't actually lose the base money, which was the acquisition money. We knew that going in that we could either, you know, if we wanted to, we could wholesale it, or if we wanted to, we can flip it, or if we can, you know, if we wanted to, we can just rent it out. You know, there's multiple exit strategies. So it's not like your money's at risk. Yeah, it's it's a little weird using all these things to to fund it, but your money's not really at I mean, I can, I, can, I guess I can say it for myself, but the money wasn't really at risk for us. So after you used up your lines of credits, your cash, and you moved on to hard money, how did you approach hard money lenders? What would be your advice to other rookies that want to use hard money lenders? I think the best thing is to just get on a phone call and just talk to them. Tell them what your plan is. Like, are you are you somebody that's going to be doing one deal a year? Are you somebody that's going to be doing 100 deals a year? Talk to them and see how they can help you, how you can help them. Obviously, they're there because they want your business. So they're going to try to figure out a way that makes like, you know, like to help you out as much as they can, because they know that a lot of people coming into their systems, yeah, they might do one or two deals their very first year, but they might grow to do like 50 deals or hundred deals a year. And that person's going to be very valuable to them to so jump on a phone call and just literally just talk to them. Just tell them what you want to do, how, what you're thinking and, and, and go from there. Did you guys interview hard money lenders or did you just go with the first one you talked to? No, we talked to, I talked to a whole bunch. Um, yeah. There was at least probably like we talked to local. So there's two different kinds of hard money lenders too. There's local hard money lenders, which is going to be everybody in your immediate area. And they're going to know the market. They're going to be able to move the very fastest because they, they're local and they know the market. So they'll know that, okay, yeah, we can do it in this area, but we can't do it in this area or whatever the case may be. And then there's your national hard money lenders. Your national hard money lenders are going to be your cheapest options because they're doing this at volume, like across the U.S. It's not just that they're keeping it for us in like Texas. They're just they're doing it all over the U.S. So if you want to be if you want to find something for pricing, you need to hit you need to call your like your national hard money lenders. But if you're looking for somebody that can close with speed or give you insight into what's going on in your general market, you need to, to, to be talking to your local hard money lenders. 
Now, I, I love that you both have leveraged different kinds of financing to get your deals done, because I, I think for a lot of people that are new, their initial assumption is I need to you know, put 20% down right, and, and do it this way. Yeah. But there's so many different ways to find financing for your deals. Like I've used 100% financing for my deals. I've used lines of credit against stock. I've done you know, vacation homes. You know, I've done like, and there's so many yeah. different options. So you know, for the listeners, I'd encourage you all, don't stop at the first bank you talk to. Don't stop at the first financing person you talk to. Like, exhaust as many options as you can and eventually you'll find something that works Definitely. now you have to you have to open up your mind as well because like everybody's so confined into the space of like oh i need the 20 percent down to get the rest of the 80 but even like with my friends and stuff that i talk to like i'm like dude just open your mind up and think about it backwards if you have if you have paid for the whole house, technically the bank will get you 80% back out, right? And if you're going in there with a, a nasty house and doing improvements, obviously that value is going to come up. That 80% that they're going to lend to you later is going to be worth a lot more than the 80% that they're going to lend to you on the front end. Yeah, that, that's great advice. And I think it speaks to the fact that you, you've got to have, you know, be, be diligent in what your goals are, but be flexible in your approach. Right. And be open to, to hearing different ways of getting the same thing done. Now, I, I want to touch a little bit about, uh, again, going back to the systems you guys have put together. Talk to us about the, the area system. What is that? How are you guys using it to scale your business? Yeah, so it's I mean, I, we live by the area area acronym high level. What it, it a means literal area. R means retail. E means education. A means ARV. So what that means when we look at the first one, because to his point, I think he touched on it. We got the, we get a lot of emails a day from wholesalers. We're probably on every wholesaler's mailing list. By being on so many mailing lists, you also kind of get overwhelmed. And if you don't understand your criteria or know exactly what you're looking for, you can start, you start going down a rabbit hole and spending hours trying to analyze deals that has, has nothing to do with maybe your market or your price point or what you would actually be willing to get into, right? So when we look at, by knowing our A, our area, that's a very quick filter for us to be like, okay, something's in like way North Texas, that's not even an area we would invest in. So knowing our neighborhoods and actually knowing like general pockets within the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex has helped us understand when a deal comes in, that's the only way we'll actually tap into it and look into it. Some tidbits for areas that make us really, when we're looking at new areas is, we try to see if there's other investor activity up and down the streets, seeing dumpsters. All of that stuff really helps push us to be like, okay, this this could be, if it's a new area, this is actually a, a potential for us to start investing in because there's other investors in the market. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the always case. I don't think that just because you see another investor isn't why you should always invest because sometimes they may be a rookie too. They're also trying something new. But another thing to look at is lawns. Uh, in text, at least in Dallas, Fort Worth, there's, we, you can tell a not great neighborhood because there's a lot of trash up front. There's like maybe a broken down car sitting in front of their lawn. Just looking at the general cleanliness of the neighborhood, are there sidewalks or is it the street that you walk on? All that stuff plays into us actually knowing our neighborhoods to the T to know, is it, it, do we even open up the email? Do we even invest in this area? When it comes to the retail side of things, I always, almost always, we try to make sure there's a Starbucks and a Chick-fil-A. So we're from Texas, so Chick-fil-A is a big deal. Utilize some of these other retailers that spend thousands, if not millions of dollars in 
just research for the area. They're, you're not going to see a massive Walmart go up if they don't see the demand. There's not going to be a Home Depot if there's no demand. There for sure won't be a Starbucks or Chick-fil-A if there's no demand because they look for high volume. <laughs> so utilize others, other big box retailer when looking for, is that actually a place for you to invest in? Another. I think that might be your personal preference because she knows we spend so much time at the job site. She's like, huh, I need, I need Chick-fil-A and Starbucks in my life. Like, like a one-minute drive vicinity. <laughs> They, you know, the, I believe in that because I once bought a property that was by my favorite pizza place. And I joke, that's why I bought it because it was in walking distance. But every time I go there, I order from that place. <laughs> right. And it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And like to that point, it's like if you're if you're willing to be in that area, then, you know, it's an area that mm-hmm. you're going to find a decent tenant. You're going to you're going to have good ARVs. It's the areas where we're like uncomfortable, maybe getting out of our cars or at night. I don't want that. That for sure is something we don't even look at. It's just not our strategy. It's, it's other people's, mm-hmm. just not ours. After retail, e, education. <laughs> um, one of the other main things we look at is we actually do look at the school districts because we want to be in a school district people want to live in. We're big believers on that. So we try not to stray away from having at least a, an a, a above par school district and then a plus, and I think almost about 40% of our properties do this, but we also look for there to be a school within the neighborhood, within walking distance from the home. Because then you'll get a young family, maybe you'll get someone to stay hopefully through the five years. Obviously that's a wishful yeah. thinking case scenario, <laughs> but you'll, you know, you'll get them to want to stay the whole time while their kids may be in elementary school. By having a school within your neighborhood, it tends to be cleaner, tends to have low crime. A lot of other things come with that because it's a school. There's kids. Yeah. Mean, more traffic. More traffic. Mm-hmm. Whenever yeah. whenever your properties do come up for rent, you have more traffic, more eyeballs looking at that rent side. Yeah. And then ARV for the last one. For us, we I know ARV is like a it's super specific to every individual based on how they do their research. Some people think the Zillow price is the price they live by. And then some, some people are like, Nope, I swear that's wrong. Um, and we've seen it done both ways. One of our properties, I think the value according to some of these online places was like under by $40,000 versus when we actually ran real comps based on actual sales around the area, it was $40,000 more. So if we just based our numbers on a really quick Google search, we would have probably not gone into, we would have probably not done that deal. One of the best ways to utilize or find someone to run comps is there's a lot of realtors out there that might charge you 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks to run comps for you for a neighborhood, whether it's rental or actual purchase comps. It's so worth it for you to utilize that to get hard fact figures because MLS data is, is is the most accurate, right? It's in our opinion, it's been almost pretty true to what what we think our ARVs are. And so, by utilizing a resource, and you can find people who are willing to do that, or even a property management company. If you're going to go down that route, sometimes you can even leverage your company to help you with the ARV side of it. But that's something that we've just by us having this particular process in place, that is the number one reason we're able to filter through like 100 emails a day because we are really occupied during like, I mean, from seven to seven, our lives are just all over the place. And so if we're not looking at it in detail to know what we would actually want to buy, we would probably miss deals that we would actually buy. I think one thing I want to point out, there, there's so much good information there, but but one thing I want to point out is there's so much value in 
uh, having a specific criteria for the properties that you look at, because like you said, uh, Anam, if you, if you just kind of have this wide open kind of spectrum of properties you look at, you're going to drown, right? They're, like there's too yeah. many deals to try and analyze and you may end up buying, buying a deal that, that's not right for you. So I, I love that you guys have been able to kind of package it into this very specific framework that you can filter your deals through and you can easily toss out the ones that, that don't match. Just really quick on, on the comp piece. I love your advice about working with realtors or property managers to try and try and sanity check those. But if you're doing it yourself, I've also used PropStream in the past. And PropStream, it's a pretty inexpensive inexpensive monthly subscription, but it also pulls in all of that MLS data. And it's really easy to kind of check and filter what those comps are. So for those of you that are listening, if you don't really have relationships yet and you want to do it yourself or just flex that muscle, that's a good way to do it. I've heard a lot about that lately is PropStream. Mm-hmm. A lot of people seem to be using it. Yeah. I haven't, yeah, well, yeah. I haven't even heard about that one yet. No, yeah, that's we'll, pretty cool. We'll for sure look into it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the data pool is straight from the MLS. I think I've only been burned once where like the square footage data was off, but otherwise it, it works pretty well. Now I, I want to transition and talk about a specific deal. So do you guys have one in mind that you feel we can kind of sink our, sink our teeth into? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll talk about the third deal that we did. I yeah. think that was a good one. The third deal that we did was probably our very first, like very, very extensive rehab. And yeah, there was a lot of uh, downsides. There was a lot of stuff that we learned from and, and grew from. So yeah, we can definitely talk about that one. All right, we'll take it away. How did you guys find the deal? So that deal we found through a wholesaler, a local wholesaler. Okay. And then how did you finance it? That deal we did do, we did do personal cash on yeah. that one. Yeah, we purchased it with our personal cash. Well, uh, well with everything, like the, the line of credits and everything mm-hmm. combined. So we used that to... to to purchase it. We use the credit cards to pay for the, the materials. We use the lines of credits to pay for, for our labor and do the whole, whole whole thing like that. Do you want to go through the process of how it worked purchasing the process or purchasing the property from the wholesaler in case someone's not familiar with how that goes about? I mean, do you put an offer in? Are you paying exactly what they asked for? Are you Did you compete for it? How did that work? So some of these wholesalers you can negotiate, but like some of the ones that we do have have just a flat price and they'll leave it out there for a couple of days or usually it doesn't last a couple of days, but they'll leave it out there and they'll just say, whoever can get this price takes it basically. And that's, that's what it was with this one. I think this one just came through our, to our email and we probably underwrote it in about what, like 10, 15 minutes yeah. on this one. Yeah, we didn't even see it before yeah. buying it. Yeah. We didn't take yeah. a look at this. It just came through our email. We kind of, we knew the area cause we had another one that was, I think probably like 10 minutes away yeah. or so. So we, we knew the area pretty well. We just called up the wholesaler and, and we're like, yeah, we'll take it. We didn't even take a look at it. We just looked through the, they, they send out usually a package of pictures and, and some other comp data and stuff along with that email. So we looked through all that. Everything looked pretty good to us. The numbers looked really good. And so we just went ahead and pulled the trigger on it. Would you mind sharing the numbers with us? Yeah. The purchase price on that one was 95000 Our labor, our, our, all our rehab with labor and materials and everything was about $30,000 on that one. There was holding costs. Okay. So we have multiple closing costs that we have to factor in because we have our wholesalers will basically bill back. So it's like a double close. Sometimes these wholesalers do a double close. So basically they're just billing you back for their front end closing and then our actual closing. And then for us, since we're holding them all, we have another layer of closing costs, which is our financing costs after we're done with the project or when we're closing with the bank. So we have like three levels of closing costs. And then we also have our holding costs and everything, which was another, which was 8,000. So we had 95,000 purchase, we had uh, 30,000 in rehab, and then we have 8,000 in closing and holding costs. I just so want to go back our... to that. 
Yeah. That wholesaling real quick before you go any further, just to break that down when you say a double closing, you're paying those fees. So some wholesalers will actually close on the property. They will pay it and then they will sell it to a buyer. And then other wholesalers will actually assign the contract where they never actually close and purchase the property. So as Amir had said, in this case, the wholesaler had closed on the property and then they purchased it from them and they paid whatever closing costs the wholesaler had incurred during that that first closing. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Go, yeah. so go ahead, continue with your numbers. So, you completed yeah. the rehab. So 95, 30, so that's 125. And then we got another 8,000 holding. So that puts us at 133 on that project. It took us about, what do you think, about a month and a half or so? This one was about, yeah, a month and a half. About a month and a half to finish up that project. And right after we finished up and had the lease signed, we took it to one of our local banks who gave us rate, who gave us like a six and a half percent rate at 80% LTV. So that appraisal did end up coming back at 164, which put our loan right at 131, which only meant that we had about 2000 left into the deal after we were completely done. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, so basically like it was it was just like a free house almost after we were done with that. We didn't yeah, we didn't have much left into the deal. The rent on that house was 1500 and after all the expenses and leaving a little bit for reserves, we cash flow about 300 on that house. And so, I mean, if you look at it, $300 a month on only 2000 in the deal, that's 150% returns a year or something like that. If you look at it that way. That's a great cash on cash return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one worked out really that's well. That's really awesome, you guys. That's exciting. So obviously that got you guys more hooked oh, yeah. into real estate and doing more of these deals. Yeah. Well, the numbers were flashy. The process was not. <laughs> <laughs> and this particular deal, because like, like you said, the numbers were great, but this is the one where some of those processes started coming into place. This is that first uh, property where we made our contractors go utilize a pro desk. This is a property where we learned dumpsters are a thing on a renovation site. Um, we just told them to throw everything in the backyard. It was us <laughs> at the end of the project trying to put them in trash bags yeah. and put them outside thinking that, you know, waste management is going to come pick them up. We ended up having to like take a photo, post it on like Facebook and be like, anyone want to come pick up trash? And then after that, yeah. we learned just factor dumpsters into, um, it's just the cost of doing business. We were so, we were trying to, we were trying to penny pinch in the beginning because you're, you're starting something from you want it to be successful. So you don't want to just start throwing money and writing checks right and left. I think we learned that. We added a bathroom in this home. Didn't Not needed. Not, Not needed. needed. Yeah. This was already a three bedroom, two bath. And well, with the garage conversion too. So this was actually a four bedroom, two bath already. Mm -hmm. But since we actually made the garage into like a Little full on real, yeah, a real bedroom, because right now, I don't know, it was just used for storage or something. We're like, oh, well, they should have a bathroom really close to the bedroom instead of on the other side of the house. And so for some reason, we added a third bath, which we didn't even need, drove our prices up higher. Um, that was one rookie mistake. And then, um, oh, I remember one of the nights what we were doing, we were, um, cause the cabinets were a little turned or whatever. So we had bought screws to like, take it out and put it, straighten it back up. And we were like, we had a great idea of using the same wood screws to put the, the cabinet knobs on. And so that does not work. You actually need like the real flat screws to put knobs on. Cause every time we would put it on, it, it you, coming yeah, we would pull it slowly and it would just come off all the way. And we were like, we spent the whole night literally trying to figure this out. We, I mean, I think I went to Home Depot three times that yeah. night to go get new screws. At some point, I think, I think we were so over it. But that the was local so Home Depot that was fifteen yeah. miles away. Yes, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like the cool part is to anyone out there that is 
you know, teetering on going into real estate or not, we, because you go through some of these nights and you go through some of these things, you learn so much along the way on how to build those processes. And we no longer are probably doing half the things we did on our first four properties. I think we realized that there, it's just not scalable. Yeah. But I also think some of those memories and some of those pain points in the beginning is what makes you a great investor going forward because you know, you just know a lot more, you know what it takes to do something. Um, so you, when someone comes to you and says, X, Y, Z, it's going to cost this much. You're like, okay, well, I guess it took me 18 hours to do it. It is so worth 200 bucks for someone else to do it. So it, it, it we hated it at the time, but I think it helped us be better at what we do. Yeah. And for anybody starting out, you you definitely have to go through that because even when you're speaking with your contractors and stuff, you have to sound educated in the process. Like you can't just be like, you know, go there and do this when when something like that doesn't even make sense to them. And if but if you can go into fine details about like, hey, I want this done this way, this specific time, this is how long it should take you to do it, you're just gonna be more respected overall because they know that you've done it or that you know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so so much good information there, and and you know, and I'm honestly, I think that piece you said about using all of those mistakes to make you the investor that you are today—that's probably the biggest takeaway from from today's interview so far. Um, I, I want to touch really, really quickly on the fact that you bought that property site unseen. Uh, yeah. A lot of new investors, I think, might have some fear around you know putting their their HELOC and their this personal line of credit, this business line of credit, up on the line for this property they've never seen before. What made you both confident in, in, in doing that? It's the comps. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're if you're focusing real estate like specifically only on numbers and you're not putting any emotion into it, that's all you really need to look at is okay. My comps say that this house is worth you know whatever 160, 170 thousand. I'm purchasing I'm purchasing it for ninety five. I have so much spread in there that I have so many like I can mess up completely and still walk away for possibly break even. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of spread in there. That's like $70,000 in spread that you can completely mess up and still be able to walk away at zero out of your pocket. That's such a great point. That, and then a lot of it had to do with, I will say all the sight unseen properties we bought are not necessarily always home runs. This one, because the numbers worked so well and we knew that worst case scenario, we've also understood that, okay, a light rehab, a moderate rehab, and an extensive rehab costs X amount of square footage, right? So by knowing that, even at like worst case scenario, if the numbers worked, that's when we were like, okay, well, this would be done for us to pass it off. And to, to his point, I think it was on the market for maybe 15 minutes. And we're like, we want this. How can, can let's just, let's close now. Like we yeah. want this now. Yeah, that's a great point because when you're doing a deal, if you actually verify your numbers, like you guys look at the comps, you know, you see them, you're not just thinking, oh, I think a property in that area would go for this. When you actually verify the numbers, you're going to know those numbers are correct. And then that bottom line is going to be correct. And you can't go wrong if you have your numbers right and just verify, verify, verify. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. 
As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my nine to five job. So I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I'm actually going to skip our MVP real quick because our rookie request line, I peeked at the question and actually has something to do about this. One of your numbers that you would want to verify when running a deal. So first of all, if you guys want to call the rookie request line, it is 1-888-5-ROOKIE. I can leave us a voicemail and we might play it on the show for a guest to hear. Today's question. Hey, my name is Sebastian Rodriguez. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm currently closing or about to close my first rental property in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my question is, I got two different quotes for my insurance. Should I go with the first one, which is the cheapest option? It's about 100 per month. The property value is 70K. Or should I go with the second one, which is a little bit higher, 260 per month? The difference is the coverage, but because it's my first property, I want to know if you guys will go with the cheapest option in order to get more cash flow, or would you cover your first property with the highest insurance in case anything happens? Thank you, guys. Uh, we have a general idea just based on like the actual value of the house where it's going to mm-hmm. fall into the realm. It's usually never more than like a couple hundred dollars difference on an annual basis. I think the question for him is if he's going to go with a cheaper option, it's like how much of the risk do you want to take on if something goes wrong? Because obviously the cheaper coverage is going to cover a lot less. 
which I'm pretty sure what he's going to re- what he's referring to is an actual cash value versus replacement cost value. That's probably what his difference is going to be. So you have to kind of be, you have to watch out definitely for that because a lot of people will try to sell you actual cash value. And if let's just say if your county has your house valued at whatever, $100,000, and that's what insurance sees it at, if that house, anything ever happened to it, they might only give you a hundred thousand, but that's probably not going to be enough to actually demo the, the property and then fully remake a house. And so you need to make sure that on your insurance, you're always getting replacement cost value which is going to fully take care of scrapping everything, rebuilding everything and getting it to where it was. So don't cheap out. Definitely. And for me, like I have a partner that focuses on the insurance piece. He actually works in insurance in his W2 job. So he knows it really well. I hate the details of insurance and like trying to compare policies. So just going back to our point earlier about the power of partnerships, like he handles all that stuff. Like if you ask me what our coverage is on any of our properties, I have no idea. Right. But, but he handles all that. So love that you guys digged into that one. So I, I want to talk now about the MVP, right? This is the, the section of the show where you guys tell us about the, the most valuable person on your teams, right? And, and who's helping you scale. So if you think about that, who's that MVP for you two? Hmm. I think my MVP is um, my leasing agent, Bubbles. That's what he calls her. She, uh, she gets everything leased and she brings the money in. So I think she's the MVP. Oh my God. <laughs> we need an explanation here. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, Amir, if you don't say a nom, then then like you're 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 sleeping on the couch tonight, man. There you go. Yeah. I will say it is. I mean, we probably are each other's because there's no way either one of us can do what we do without the yeah. opposite. And I know that's like yeah. such a lame answer, such a lame answer, but uh, we. We're opposite people completely. Yes. That's why it helps. Like she literally does stuff that I would completely hate doing. And I do stuff that like she hates numbers. She would never touch numbers. And she would, I don't think she would want to deal with contractors and stuff. So everything I do, she would completely hate. Everything she does, I completely hate. So I think that's why it's just easier to balance it off each other. Yeah. Did it take a little while for you guys to like figure that out and get into that groove as to who would be responsible for what and what you liked and didn't like? So, okay, so tidbit on us is we've also been together for 14 years. So we started dating when I was 14, he was 16. So there's a lot that that can come from something like that. We just growing up knew what was each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I've always probably said finances has never been a, never has been a strength of mine. And he hates designing. He hates being creative. He hates having to deal with people. Like he's just, he doesn't like dealing with people on the front end. He can deal with the contractor side of it, but if he has to deal with people on the front end and like try to sell something, it's just not what he enjoys. <laughs> if I was showing a house, somebody would walk in and I would have been like, here's loving, there's the bedroom. Let me know if you guys like it. Yeah. <laughs> She'll go into like a 30 minute thing of like, oh, let me show you how this works and how bad it Can't is. Can't you envision the bed right there? Like, can you like not see the kids running around yeah. and look at this backyard? I mean, so I think because of our history, I mean, we figured out what our, where we draw the line in the sand on our first property. And I know that isn't normal, but I think because we were, we've been like each other's best friends and with each other for a bajillion years, I think that that's helped us know exactly what each other's strengths are without having to go trial and error while going into bed with, in business. That's awesome. But, uh, there's no it. real one MVP. Like, I mean, every, every, every single person on our team is so important that like our business wouldn't be working without them, without our contractors, we wouldn't get stuff done. 
without our insurance people, we would never have insured yeah. properties correctly. <laughs> <laughs> without, without our lenders, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be growing. So I mean, everybody's super important. Without bigger pockets, we yeah. wouldn't have our first, first deal. deal. We literally Ooh. found our very first deal on Bigger Pockets. It is so crazy on the forums That's before we so found our very awesome. first deal. Yeah, wow. the very first wholesaler that we ever worked with posted his deal on Bigger Pockets while the day I was just looking through like normal blogs or whatever. Came into contact, gave him a call, and we had bought the property like the very next day. I feel like that's scary. Like your first property, you're buying it off the internet from oh, a stranger. Yeah. You know, it's not like a your realtor is involved helping you or a friend or anything like that. That's it that's was. Really cool. It was. I completely remember that day. I was like, uh, me and her were just talking. I'm like, hey, I think we just bought a house. Hey, you need to go get a check and go get it dropped off to <laughs> yeah. this title company so we can get a deposit down. And yeah, yeah, especially was, the next day, if you saw it and then yeah. bought it the next day, you didn't even really think it no, over I that much and sleep on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't see We didn't side. even see this. Our yeah. first deal we had, well, we didn't see either. Yeah. 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 That's that really fun. cool. Well, let's yeah. move on to our random questions. I'm going to take the first one because I actually wrote down a note of something I wanted to ask you guys. How many offers are you guys putting in a month? And how many would you say are rejected and how many have been accepted? Like going back the past six months. I think during acquisition time, like when we're full on trying to pick up properties, I think we're doing at least multiple a day, like two, yeah. three offers a day. Yeah. You, you have to like this market is so hot right now that half your offers are not even going to be looked at or, or even considered. So like, we'll, if, if we ever look at a prep property, we'll always throw a number out there. Cause like, if you're going to spend like, you know, whatever, 10 minutes, just looking at a deal, you might as well throw out a number out there, even if it's like way under what they're asking. Cause you never know. They might, they might end up coming back and taking it. I will reinforce that. It does not hurt to put in an offer, no matter what it is, no matter yeah. how low it is, because you mm -hmm. never know. And it, some people, yeah. I mean, I was a person that was scared to put in that low ball offer because I didn't want to insult anyone or I didn't want to be that person putting in the low ball offer, but I yeah. guess you you will never know, and maybe they'll counter it, and it will still be a great deal for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, go so ahead, I, Tony. I, yeah, yeah. I guess my my question for you guys is: you're you're building this big portfolio. Things are things are growing. Things are expanding. Like, what's what's the end goal for you all? Is it you know you want a hundred single family homes? Do you want to I don't know get into like storage space? Do you want to become like <laughs> like what's the what's the long term long term goal for the the two of you? I don't know. We, we like residential. I don't think we would go into commercial or storage spaces. We, we I mean, like the residential market is not going anywhere. Like people need a home to live in. So I think we love it so much. And I mean, the end goal was never like, we never established an end goal. It was just, we wanted, we liked the process of the business so much. And we just wanted to grow so much that I don't think we ever set a, a specific number I mean, I think we have a cash flow, like our ultimate goal cash flow. Yeah. When we feel like we've made it, I think we have that number. Yeah. But I don't think we actually have like a, a like a hard stop that this after we get here, we're going to completely stop. I will say one of the things in the last, like at least in the last six to eight months that we maybe start factoring in as potentially a next step or end quote at some point, a goal of ours is to bring everything in-house slowly. So yes, hire someone to do property management under us. I don't want to, we don't want to pay someone necessarily outsourcing it, bringing a GC in-house under payroll, bringing insurance in-house, bringing underwriting, like doing everything under one roof and actually building a massive one-stop shop, I think would be what we think would be a really cool 
goal, not end goal, but a goal. Yeah. yeah. And opening that up to other investors. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. yeah. Very cool. And it, it, it'd be pretty cool like if we if we can get like a brokerage even under yeah. us or and have realtors under us yes. where yeah. where you're not just doing what we do. It's like it's everything to do with real estate. Yeah. So you, you two have really big goals and I love it. Right. And, and the, the, the pace you two are moving, I'm, I'm confident you're going to get there. So thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I know I got a ton of value. I'm sure the listeners will as well. And we look forward to hearing how your business continues to scale. But thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you guys thank for you having all. us. Yeah. Thank you guys both. Uh, this was a great show and definitely tons of value. So anything they mentioned that you guys might want to know more on, you can go to our Bigger Pockets Facebook page and ask questions on there. Then we'll also have more information at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 40. So Aman and Amir, thank you guys very much. I am Ashley Kerr at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.